I'm going to throw at you a few different things. So I use ChatGPT, right, to, to find a whole bunch of ways that people have preached this, this passage and what they think you should do with it. Um, and so you get to chat to the person next to you and tell them what you reckon. Okay, so first one, the five smooth stones, right? The five smooth stones. It has been suggested that what we should get out of this passage is it takes five smooth stones to slay our own Goliaths today. The five smooth stones represent five personal habits or practices of David by which he was able to defeat Goliath. Okay? Now, the five are faith, obedience, service, prayer, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they're smooth because they're well-worn as a stone that's been plenty, seen plenty of action, well-worn and tested on Goliath's past and present. What are you going to have a chat to the person next to you? You're thinking, yeah. <laughs> How many stones did David use? So he slung one, four in reserve. But the habits, the habits, the practices, the build-ups. Um, okay, so just in your head. Uh, second one, the story of David and Goliath encourages believers to face their own giants or challenges in life with faith and courage. Like I could easily imagine reading that in the morning and thinking, right, okay, so what, what am I going to be facing today? And how am I going to face this with faith and courage? Um, I could imagine even thinking, or I could imagine, I certainly imagine people telling me, because I don't have to imagine it, they have, that re- re- telling me that, yes, no, actually, I can overcome the things in my day, I know, and, I, and this encouraged me that I could do that. Is that legitimate? Yeah, I don't want to poo-poo things too quickly when they, when they start to get real beautiful and gospel-y like that, do you? But, but at the same time, you... Next one. Obey your anointing. David's obedience to God's calling... And his anointing as king, now this is starting to get good because it's actually taking into account the, the story, isn't it? Remember, we're, we're reading things in the context of the stories. Going back, he's just been anointed as king before that. And it highlights the significance of aligning one's life with God's purposes. He's destined to be king, so he acted in a kingly way, fighting the battles of the people. And so that means that for us as individuals, we should seek and follow God's will for our lives. So find out what God wants for my life and then follow that, even when its path might seem challenging or unconventional. Maybe you've got brothers like David had saying, you're, a, you're an idiot, you're just here for, for, for an ego thing or to see the battle or whatever. But David knew that there's actually something more to it than that. Is that what we get out of David and Goliath? Would that be legitimate? Uh, there's another one here, developing character. So David's humility, bravery, and reliance on God showcases the importance of cultivating character traits that honor God. Uh, overcoming fears. David's youthful courage in the face of a formidable opponent inspires believers to overcome fear, step out in faith. Um, uh, won't go too, uh, yep, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You know, think about that. You know, got New Testament backup on that one even. See, Paul says that to Timothy. So you got, t- t- sorry, Titus. Goodness, gr- oh, oh no, that's bad. I don't remember which one it is. <sighs> it is Timothy, yeah. Um, using your available resources. That might be a slight, I don't know if that's exactly the title that they gave for it, but the, the, the description here from, the, from, from what this guy was saying is, David's use of a simple sling and stones instead of traditional weaponry teaches the importance of utilizing the resources and gifts that God has provided. Doesn't sound that dissimilar from what we've talked about a little bit in terms of our direction setting stuff. It encourages believers to identify and employ their unique strengths and abilities in pursuing God's purposes. Would that be a good thing to get from David and Goliath? Lastly, trusting in God. The narrative emphasizes the importance of trusting in God rather than relying solely on human strength or conventional wisdom. It encourages believers to have faith that God can empower them to conquer and to do difficult things. So, in short, I need to, I need to trust God more. 
Is that what we should get out of David and Goliath? So there's actually a lot of variation there, isn't there? Fair bit of difference. The question is, how do we know which one is right? Like actually getting some principles, that means it's not just going to be what I happen to feel like saying on the day, but actually some kind of principles to, to, to allow God to be the one who speaks to me rather than me to get something out of God's word that I feel like I want. All right, today is a short sample study, therefore, in how to use... Oh, goodness, my clicker. Um, I've left my clicker up there somewhere. <laughs> Sorry. Today's a short sample study on how to use the big story to understand a particular chapter within it. Now, I've got one first thing for you. In order to do this well, you have to understand the Old Testament in the light of the Old... Sorry, the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. Why? Now, that's because... Thank you so much, brother. The, the Jesus event is such a plot twist that you actually have to go and re-watch the first half of the movie in light of the twist to see what you missed the first time around. Last night I watched uh, a bit of Arrival. Uh, it's got Amy Adams, Adams in it, and uh, she's a, a linguist, uh, a linguistic expert. And at the start, you see sort of this picture of her backstory of her life, which involves, you know, significant loss of a child and things like that. Really hard, heart-wrenching stuff at the start. You're already crying, right, you know, a minute in. And, and then these aliens pop up all over the world, and she's thrust into this, into this position of having to try and translate for the aliens, get to know the alien language and translate it. Uh, and, and all of these things happen. They're, they're trying to work out if these aliens are trying to, to attack. They're going to they're attack. Are they coming in peace? They're trying to stop, because of course China are the bad guys. You know, so China, China just, all oh, those, those warlike Chinese from like, you know, shooting the first nukes and whatever else, and other, the Americans being so peaceful, like, no, 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 no. You know, we're gonna, we don't, don't go the military option. We don't do that. Um, and, and there's this, this, this sort of struggle for that. And yet at the end, as, as you get to the end, and the, she's starting to understand the language, and there's this personal thing where she keeps getting flashbacks back to her past, flashbacks back to her past, and then as she learns this language, this language is actually the language of time. And what you start to see and realise is that these were not flashbacks. The child that she gave birth to and then ended up losing is actually the story she's about to live with the man that she was there translating with and that's the next story of the next 16 years of her life. And all of that sadness is now ahead of her, not behind. And you're like, whoa, dude, way too much, way too much. But then you've got to go back and watch because you're like, oh, hold on, what did I miss? There was all those little words at the start. You know how they sort of say some poignant words at the start? I was like, I didn't, oh, I, I didn't get what they, they were about time. Yes, and I've got to go back and look. And it's only then that I understood what they were doing. And that's what happens with Jesus in the Bible. He's not just the end. He's a plot twist. The words that are said at the start, you've got to say, are they a hint to actually a twist that's coming later? So we have to know the story and always interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New. Otherwise, you're just watching Fight Club thinking that there's actually two different people, not one. Now, just to go through it really quickly, for those who haven't been with us in our series, God creates this incredible universe. That's, this is the big story of the Bible, right? You're getting the Bible in 200 and... No, 177 words. God creates an incredible universe along with these mini little gods, humans, to bless them with what he's made, give them what he's made, and also to bless what he's made through them. But then this dark power deceives them so they no longer trust their friend and creator God, which brings violence and death to these things that they were supposed to bless. So God starts this project with one special family. Now, what's the plan with them? Well, same as the first one, to bless these people with what he's made and to bless what he's made through these people. But even with a thousand graces and mercies and helps and reminders and plot twists from God, they can't do it. They don't have the ability that that violence and death had changed them too much. 
And yet at the end of the story, in his determination to continue to bless, God the Son becomes a human, lives, dies, and rises again for people who don't trust his goodness, who still don't trust like they didn't from the start, from that deception. And God loves this. He loves what the Son has done, and he loves the Son. And so when the Son has finished rescuing an appropriate number of people, the Father, in the end, will throw an eternal wedding banquet for the Son and for the people that the Son has blessed. And evil and evildoers will be no more. Now, you might have heard that story a million times. Well, now we're going to use your familiarity with that story to help us read the Bible well. And we're going to do it with one of these well-known and yet most poorly preached passages of Scripture in the Bible, David and Goliath. So where does it fit in? Well, David and Goliath fits in right in the middle there. So sort of uh, between the, um, the stone tablets not crossed out and the stone tablets crossed out, it's in the middle of God helping his rescue team, Israel, to try and save the world. That's what's going on, to try and bring humanity back to him using this people, Israel. But it's not been working, and partly because these stinking Philistines have been attacking God's people. But one of the things that's happened just before, so again, tiny bit before, one, one sort of miniature step backwards, that when the Philistines captured this holy relic, this, this thing that was the, the, the symbol of God's presence in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, they stole it and took it over to their temple. Israel's God beat up their God. So their God ends up getting found sort of lying down in the temple, his uh, head and hands cut off, and uh, ends up smacking them around until they send him home with, with gold, saying, oh, sorry, 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 and give them back their, their, their holy relic with gold as, as an apology. It's this perfect demonstration of God's ability to rescue his people. So what do God's people do? God has just demonstrated he can rescue his people. They ask God, can we have a human king, please, in case we need a human to rescue us? And they still don't trust their God. And you see, this is the same pattern as from the start. So they make this bloke named Saul king in case they need rescuing. And that's where we get up to. Because as the humiliating memory of, being, of, of, of Israel's God without a single sword, smacking them around for a few months, sort of fades and the Philistines get their pluck back, they become a thorn in Israel's side again quickly. And we, here we have it. The armies are lined up on each side of the valley. This is awesome. Right, this is, this, is, this, is like, this, is, this is the story that I read during boring sermons. So, Raphael, you're not allowed to read the Bible during this sermon because this is the, this is the story you'd, have, you'd be going to do to read. Goliath is a monster, nine foot plus. You can, battle has a particular smell in the ancient era. It's not pleasant. And you would have been able to just like, taste the fear because this, this guy's incredible. Touch the bead of sweat on your brow as you involuntarily are sweating, even though it's not hot, as that guy, you just see him walk up over the hill and then down towards you, wondering if he's going to keep coming because you would run if he did. The looks of hopelessness on the faces of your bravest friends. The smell of the cheese as your little brother, David, what are you, what are you doing? And this, this plucky, this, this, this little, little guy, apparently only old enough to carry cheese, no armor, no recognized weapons, armed with nothing but his shepherd's gear, stones, his courage. Well, actually, it's not really courage. He would actually say it's experience. I've been here and done this before. I've learned to trust God's power to rescue. And there's this just classic scene 
I mean, it, it, it's not, it, it is the stereotype. It, like, this is the thing. It, it's, it's a David and Goliath story. It is the epic scene that we compare other epic scenes to. David approaches Goliath, who mocks him, threatens to feed his guts to the birds and the beasts. David fearlessly comes and declares, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. How dare you insult my God, who is greater than you and yours. And David slings this one stone at Goliath, one, and, and hitting him in the forehead. Goliath falls down. David then beheads Goliath with his own sword. All the irony, all of the, the epic battle cry, the, the climax, the Philistines flee in fear. Israelites pursue them with great victory. David's celebrated as a hero. And Saul says, man, who is this dude? Who is this dude? Because it's supposed to be the king who fights the battles for the people. Now, how do you get something out of that? Well, as I said earlier, we, we don't get something out of this. When, 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 if I'm preparing a talk, I'm not dreaming up interesting ways of interpreting passages when I prepare them. What, I, what we want to do is let the passage speak to us. Let it decide what it's doing. And, and there's two parts to this for the Christian because of the plot twist. So the first part is, what job does this passage do for someone reading it before the plot twist? And then, how does this part of the big story play out in our part of the story after the plot twist. So you've just got to do the two. Now, at that point, you can be a bit creative because you, know, you think, okay, so how does it change how I work? How does it change how I go to school? How does it change how I wake up in the morning? How does it change how, whether I brush my teeth or not? Like, you can apply the lesson to all these different areas, but the, the lesson is going to be the same. And so what, now that's what we're going to do now. So the first thing we're going to do is pick up one thing that we don't want to do, a mistake that is really, really normal. Most of the time when I read a story, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a hero. Anyone else looking for a hero? I want a hero. I'm looking for that in life too. And it sucks because over time, all your heroes slowly fall one by one and you realize, oh, we're all just humans and ah, it's kind of the same. Um, but, but I want a hero and I want a hero to be like because I want to be a hero too. <laughs> and I'm still silly enough and young enough to want to be a hero. And yet the story so far, if we'd read it, we shouldn't be looking for the hero, should we? Like if I was going to be a, a, a sensitive reader of the text, if I was going to let the Bible speak and tell me what to expect is coming next, well, what would I expect of humans? Magical, created, fantastic beings. Godlike in their creativity and in their ability to, 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 to name and to understand and to rule and to, and, to, and to love and to relate. Incredible. And at the same time, grotesquely messed up by a lack of trust in God and the violence that that has brought to us. And a mixture of those two things. That's what I should be expecting. So, I shouldn't, so if I'm letting the story tell the story, if I'm letting the story tell it tell the story, I shouldn't be looking for a hero. And in fact, the story goes on to say that the purpose of everything is that there is only one hero. That's the plot twist. The plot twist is that Jesus gets the glory for pulling the universe together after he'd originally created it, for uniting everything in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, that it would be in, in non-violence, that it would be in being broken on a cross and in allowing, submitting himself to humiliation, that he would find life and glory. Now, that has two implications. We shouldn't try and be like David because that's never how the story was set up for us to read it. Jesus is meant to be the hero of this big story. So I shouldn't read the early chapters thinking I'm looking for a hero that I, want, that I need to be like. 
So any, any, any uh, application that's straight away is, first of all, right, the big point is I've got to be like David, find out what's good about David to be like it. Well, maybe I'm not reading the story so good. Because the second point here is that the Bible is not about you, actually. It's about God. Remember, that was our very first thing we picked up. In the beginning, God introduces the main character, the first three words or first four words of, of Scripture. He's the main character. So start by looking for yourself in the story. Don't start by trying to find who's me in the story or who should I be like in the story. Start with who's God in the story. What does this tell me about him? So if I'm letting God tell the story, I should be looking for a failed human attempt. Because remember, we're in the middle of this. We're, uh, we're in the middle of this sort of attempt by humans, attempt by God's people to rescue the world, but not quite being able to do it. So I should be looking for a failed human attempt at returning the world back to the blessings of Eden and some messed upness that comes from that. And that's setting up for Jesus' ability to succeed where every human, even with God's help, failed to be even more impressive in our hearts and minds than we would have been able to see without this story of nearly but fail, nearly but fail, nearly but fail. For we would not have been able to see how Jesus succeeded if we weren't able to see that this slightly less than Jesus thing is nowhere near enough. See, if the Father initiated the whole of creation to make Jesus shine so far above every other possible thing, don't grab the story of someone who is just so far below him and lionize it and decide that's what I've got to be. And so did David. Well, what he's an example of. Well, he's an example of God's power over his enemies. He's an example of someone who's, who's experienced God's, God's uh, strengthening to overcome great things. But the problem is, there's a bit of a, it's not very cross-like, is it? See, David can't defeat death. He can only bring death. See, I'd love someone to not just be able to destroy my enemies, but also heal my relationships and heal me and the way I attract in my relationships. David can't do that. He can just cut off bad guys' heads. Something better has come in Christ. The big story is the creator God rescuing, redeeming, recreating a new humanity of himself out of the ruins of cracked beings like me. Israel were not enough. No human being will be enough. No human self-help will be enough. This is all meant to demonstrate the crazy power that was required and the crazy thing that happened when Jesus upside down conquered by being conquered himself. So where do I find myself in this story? Where should we? We're at the end. But two, two places. If, you, if, you're, if you've not been reconciled to God, if you don't know God, if God's not your king, if, if Jesus is not the one that you realize he, he, has a, he has been able to reconnect people to God and I've bowed the knee before him. If that's not you, if you're not there yet, well, I'm going to say something that's a little confronting to you. Fair warning. I, I want you to know I say this in absolute love. If you've not been reconciled to God, you find yourself on the other side of the valley. You're among the enemies of God. I'm not saying you're a worse person than me. I'm not saying necessarily you're consciously choosing to be against God, but I'm saying that what has happened in history is that God sent his son to this earth to be his Christ, his anointed one, marked for this task to fight against sin and death and reclaim God's position as rightful ruler of this world. And if you're living happily ignoring God's king, saying, yeah, well, whatever, God says, that's not what I made you for. That's not what I made you this world for. 
the camp you're putting yourself in with that attitude is to say, I'm not submitting to your king. I don't want him. I don't need him. He's not my king. You're in the other camp. You're against God's king. If, however, you've bowed your knee to King Jesus, then you are not David, but a foot soldier in the ranks. Probably poo in your dax. Maybe a bit like uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He wasn't even an Israelite. I mean, if no offense of you are Jewish, but if you're not Jewish, then you're probably more like, you're not even, any, you're not even a Hebrew foot soldier. You're, 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 you're a blow-in. A guy who walked along and saw this David guy and saw the, the, the courage and the, the, the amazing transformation that God's spirit and, and this God who was actually trustworthy, who could win any fight, and was like, wow, this is an incredible combination. I've got to stick with this guy because this God he is following is unbelievable. That is us. David, David faced certain death. Like, like seriously, this was a, a, a lad, not much, maybe, you know, probably somewhere between Ben and Billy's size, right? Walking up to a guy who's bigger than Andre the Giant. We've watched a little bit of uh, Princess Bride sort of highlights recently, and Rafa's sort of keen to find out exactly how tall he was. He doesn't fit through the door. It was certain death. And yet David lived. But Jesus did the same. He didn't, he didn't just stare down the barrel of a Philistine giant. He stared down the barrel of the wrath of God, the one who brings death as the punishment for sin, the one who created Goliath. Like the size of the disparity in the fight is different. He not just faced something that seemed like certain death, he actually died and faced that and then defeated death itself. Now, what am I saying? What is the point of this? The point of this is for you is that when your, your, your fear systems take over, like, you know, in life when you get nervous and you just do dumb stuff and you really just, you let yourself down, you, you either sin or you're, you're terrible at work, your, your emotional stuff takes over and you, you're not, you let yourself on the side and everything down. Like a soldier does when even the king, whose job it is to steal, he's the tallest guy in the land. That was Saul's thing. And he's, even the king is too scared to take up arms and fight against their tallest guy in the land. And that's his job. But when you're in those moments, when you're, when you're scared and you let yourself down, don't think, oh, look, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's, that is true. Well, it's not the po- that's not the point of what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is Jesus has already won the battle against anything that is against you. Already done. We are, the, the, fought, ha, the fight has happened. We are on the other side of Jesus' battle against sin, the other side against Jesus' battle against death, and, and there is nothing that can harm you. you. You are unharmable in the long term, in the big picture. Even your own sin, the size of it may seem big, and you might feel shame and awful and, and curled up into a little ball like, like some of those soldiers were because of it. It's, all right. it's, it's not just, oh, it's okay, God will forgive it. It's done. The victory that we're walking back to Jerusalem, all talking about how good it is that God provided a king, an anointed one, who trusted him enough to fight the battle for us and that we didn't even have to fight. You weren't in the battle, but it was won for us. The joy of this is that there's joy. You don't have to feel bad about it. We won. Our God's one. We have it, we have it, we have a king who trusted on our behalf. It's all been good. And so in your moments of fear, don't then 
don't then react to your moment of fear and shame and in running away. You've got a king. He's already fought the battle. Go to your God. Confess your sins and all of that. But know that he's, know that he's, already, ta- done that he's already taken care of it. It's sorted. And then pick, pick up again and walk like you're walking behind the biggest and baddest guy going around because this is how it is. The battle's already been won. Pick yourself up. Go to God. Oh, in one sense, it's not really that. It's actually go to God. Get him to pick you up because he's already defeated anything that could possibly stand against you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us as we read your word to enjoy seeing you there first before we see ourselves. Yeah, there's always going to be little ways, Lord, that you put passages in your, in your word that, that, uh, and, and you, um, you, you get us to read particular things that just click and, and remind us of other true things from your word. And that's a part of how your spirit interacts with us as we read the Bible and all of that. And yet, Father, may we have joy in getting to know you more and more by seeing you as the main character and interacting with you because of it. Talking to you about what you're like and how great you've been to us and how great you just are to people in general because that's what we see in the pages of your word. Help us, Lord, to, to uh, not look to the old examples for um, ways to be, but to look to the new risen King Jesus for the ways that he has been towards us so that we might then walk in those ways with, with great joy not, not girding up our loins to face the battle like oh it's going to be really hard and maybe we'll get there but walking in his victory train with confidence and peace because our God has already won in Jesus name we pray Lord Amen <laughs>